Well, there is nothing like a near-death experience to change your perspective and change your life. And uh, hey, everybody, this is Gabe Kolstad with Westside Community Church. We're here for the midweek motivation episode of the Westside Podcast. And last Sunday at our Easter services, last weekend at our Easter services, I promised that we would finish sharing Neil's uh, very dramatic story. So this is Neil Kerner. He is with us, one of the members of our church, a friend of mine. And Neil's got quite a story about an event that happened a number of years ago in his life. Neil, you want to give us the synopsis? In college, I was a typical college guy. I joined a fraternity. I was involved up campus. I went to classes. I did all the normal college stuff. And uh, one of my fraternity brothers uh, was big into the Campus Crusade for Christ and and in his church. And we talked a lot about it. And he got me to pray the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus into my heart. And then the devil took hold of me. Because he saw that as a ripe ground that he could just take a hold of me. And, and I promptly ran from Jesus and ran from God and got into college and partying and hanging out with the wrong people and doing the wrong things. And and somehow graduated, somehow made it through college, somehow kind of went to church every once in a while to keep a little bit of a relationship with the Lord, but still was living in the world more than anything. And then shortly after graduating college, was uh, involved in a terrible car accident. And it turned my life around. Um, it took the lives of my girlfriend and one of her friends uh, that I'd met that night. Uh, so I really didn't know him. Uh, it took my girlfriend for a few weeks and left me in a coma for seven days. And waking up in the hospital from a coma, I can't describe it. it it's surreal. It's waking up next to family that was there my my mom was there in the bed in the uh, hospital room the footprints poem that it gave my dad uh, for a father's day previous i don't know how that memory came to be but the footprints poem sitting there and i was able to read that and think i don't know where i'm doing what's going on how things are going to go but god you've got me you're carrying me and immediately just resolved to no matter what it took i was going to persevere through this and crazy thing spent a few months in the hospital in intensive inpatient therapy and then a few months and uh, several months in outpatient therapy and getting back into what i could get back to a workforce and and get back into life um, two years later started with a uh, a company um, met and married my wife uh had three beautiful kids, had a job with IBM for 10 years, and then ended up uh, going through a divorce. And through all this, keeping my sobriety, I'm a recovered alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, and kept my sobriety, kept my focus on God, kept my focus uh, where it needed to be. And years later now, remarried, have two stepchildren, have my three beautiful children that I share custody with my wife, and uh, just love the Lord and and attend church with you guys at your church after a church I'd been attending for a while back. Uh, I decided to move a different way and go to a different church, and I'm just happy to make Westside my home. Yeah. Well, you know, Neil, um, I, I know that coming out of a situation like that must have been it's you you just gave the really summarized version of it but you know what tell us a little bit about what was that two months of inpatient therapy like knowing what i could do 
and remembering some of what I could do, but not getting my body to do it. Hmm. I knew that I played soccer in college. I loved playing soccer, yet I was in a wheelchair and then a walker. And one of my memories I have of being in the hospital was using a walker and dribbling a soccer ball with a walker and then dribbling a soccer ball a day later with a cane because I got my balance up enough. Mm. Part of the problem with severe brain damage is it really affected my balance. So in therapy, I'd close my eyes when they were having me practice balancing and I'd fall over and the nurse would have to catch me. Uh, Or vertigo. I can't switch levels, get up from bed or get up from a chair real quick because often I'll lose my balance and have vertigo and the world will spin. Um, Things like short-term memory. I was at therapy and I was in my wheelchair at the time because it was early in therapy and I had a five and two ones on this side, dollar bills, and then on this side I had like 67 cents. And the therapist said, count the money. And I'd count five, six, seven. And then I'd count the 67 cents. But I'd forget there was seven. So I'd go back and I'd count seven. I'd forget how much change there was. And back and forth about four times. And my mom was behind me, snickering, not laughing at me, but at the absurdity of the situation where previously I had amazing SAT scores I had three jobs I have two degrees three jobs during college two degrees full-time school all this yet I couldn't remember Mm -hmm. one to the other and at one point I forgot my pledge to myself when I saw that footprints poem and I pushed myself away from the therapy table with a couple of explanatives and said I'm done I quit take me back to my room and the nurse took me back to my room and I saw the footprints poem and I had to just rethink and rededicate myself to my recovery Hmm. Uh, along with that as you mentioned in the service since i'm having an addictive personality i'm I'm a recovering alcoholic i took myself off all pain meds and that had to be uncomfortable it wasn't comfortable yeah (laughs) It, it, it was um it was painful and they gave me the prescription dosage of advil okay prescription dosage of tylenol but i knew that I didn't want to hit the rabbit hole of codeine or the rabbit hole of the oxy or anything like that. I just, it wasn't worth it to me. I was going to do it. And another thing I talked to the therapist about was being able to feel and not push myself too hard. And if I'm on those narcotic pain meds, I can't feel the pain really well. Mm -hmm. So I put overdo overdo it and over push myself, which could then hinder my Mm -hmm. healing versus help it. So, um, I wasn't drinking at the time of the accident. I know for a fact that I had no drugs or alcohol in my system based on the blood tests at the mm-hmm. hospital. So I consider that my sobriety date. So the good and the sobriety date and, and that date goes with the bad and the, and the remorse of, of the fatalities in the sure. accident, as well as just the rededication of my life to the Lord at that time too. Mm-hmm. And who would have known that a gift I gave my dad years before for Father's Day would have such a big impact on my life? Yeah. And who would have known that he'd put it there? I mean, just, I don't believe in coincidence. Yeah. It just, it it doesn't make sense. Clearly God's been with you through all of this because your story has so many unlikely pieces to it. So I got a couple questions for you. One is, okay, so you go, you know, you're young and, Mm -hmm. you know, your whole future is ahead of you and you, you got 
promising things happening in your life. You know, you're with your girlfriend and, and her friend and, and then they die. How in the world did you get over that um, loss? And because that's, wow, I mean, most people would be stuck in that moment for the rest of their lives. How'd you get over it? There was a lot of survivor's guilt. Uh, I felt terrible. Like a lot of times I'd lay at night or lay when I was on my own and say, why me, God? Why me, not them? What, mm-hmm. What's the reason for this? Um, and I spent a lot of time with psychologists and psychiatrists when I was in my inpatient therapy in the hospital talking it through with them and talking it through and praying a lot and working through with my own rationalization, I guess you could, on why me, not them. Mm-hmm. And while I commit to myself to be my best me going forward and do my best to make living amends for their deaths, it's it's still hard because, as we all know, we're not perfect. We fail. We're fallible. We're human. We sin. And it's tough to know that God gave me another chance and I still sin on occasion, more often than I like to. But I know that I'm still forgiven. I know that Mm -hmm. I'm still on the right track because I'm doing my best. Mm -hmm. It was really tough because I kind of buried all of that and resolved all, I guess more resolved it all through therapy and through counseling. And then Clackamas County indicted me on four felony counts. So then I was facing 37 years in, 27 or 37 years in prison for two measure 11 um, criminal or manslaughter in the second degree and criminally negligent homicides, and I just gotten a job out of out of a recovery, out of coming out of the coma and recovery and all that, and then I lost that job because of the indictments, and then the Monday before I was supposed to go to trial, or the Friday before I was supposed to go to trial on Monday, I was at a business conference. I was selling computers business to business, and. I got the call from my attorney saying the county dropped all the charges. They dismissed everything. My attorney had hired an accident reconstruction firm and an investigator to look into the cause of the accident. And ultimately, whereas Clackamas County put before the grand jury that I was driving 104 miles an hour in the wrong lane of traffic, trying to jump my car off Roller Coaster Hill, Advance Road in Wilsonville, my engineering team and through physics, could prove that what it seemed like is a tire sheared off or a wheel sheared off the axle of my car, causing me to lose control of the car, leaving marks in the yaw marks in the road from the tires and a groove in the road from where my wheel fell off. Hmm. And where my car ended up, I was driving the speed limit in my lane of traffic, not trying to jump my car like they supposed. So when they were able to present all that evidence to the DA... They were just, they dismissed the charges. So going through recovery, get my feet back under me, and then kind of resolve the fatalities in my head, and then all of a sudden it's all brought back up. And my attorney's saying, I wouldn't I recommend you wouldn't talk to the family. Mm. So I couldn't talk to my my deceased girlfriend's family. I couldn't talk to her friend's family. I'd never met her friend's family. Um but it it just brought all that back up and through all of this, for some reason, I had the strength, and I, I leaned on the Lord a lot. I, through the leading up to trial there, the loss of my my job I'd just gotten there, 
my divorce with my first wife that I met after the accident and other three girls with, all that, I really had to lean on the Lord and the gifts he'd given me. I was back running again when I was in a wheelchair, you know, three, three years previous. I was back running again. So I leaned on running and prayer and listening to good, solid, you know, Christian music and solid, great music while I ran and just a lot of prayer and just leaning in. Mm-hmm. And it just made all the difference. Wow. I mean, that's, I was going to ask you that question, but you mm-hmm. answered it, which is like, what were the pieces for you that brought you strength? It sounds like that you had found them. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I listened to your story, one of the things that um, I'm curious still about is you mentioned this, you know, you're recovering alcoholic and there's been some, rec- there's not only the physical recovery mm-hmm. from your accident, but then there was the personal recovery on the side from addiction. Yeah. Tell us about that. Like, what's that journey been like, and how has that woven itself into your story? Well, that journey started with my dad. Uh, I like to joke. In fact, I was just joking last night with him because we were both at an AA meeting uh, that we attend together. Oh, wow. And, uh, or we, we meet up at. And I joked, you know, I'm an alcoholic because of my dad because it's proven to be hereditary. But I exercised that alcoholism in college by putting alcohol in my body and letting that that ism get me Mm. and that addiction get me and that happened in college i was you know getting drunk through college and getting in trouble with the law and went through six months of treatment and went back out and drank in fact i challenged my drug and alcohol counselor to test me over my 21st birthday because i was in treatment over my 21st birthday she didn't i i don't know why but you know i i didn't learn then and it I know it takes everybody what it takes to get to a place where they're willing to surrender and know that they can't do it themselves, that they need to rely on higher power um, to help them recover and help them to get through that, the powerlessness they feel over alcohol. And for some reason, it took God essentially hitting me over the head with the Mitsubishi Eclipse Hmm. and seven days in a coma and the recovery to make me realize that I don't need substances in my body to make me feel any better than I do right now, to make me value life any more than I do right now. Being sober, being happy, being a child of God, being, I I joke with, it drives my wife nuts sometimes because I'm so positive all the time. She's like, why are you so positive? We just just found out bad news. I don't have any other way to look at it. My blood types be positive, I don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so anybody has blood types be positive out there. You don't have a choice. You got to be positive. Be positive. It's good. in your body. It's yeah. in your bo- It's in your blood. I love it. So I love it. I, it's just an outlook I took. And whether I'm at work or whether I'm at church or whether I'm at, uh, hanging out with friends, you know, being DD for my friends doing their stupid stuff. And I, I just take a positive attitude on it. And it's really proven well through career and through personal life. And like I said, I still make mistakes. I, I have as much mistakes in my my divorce and my first marriage as anyone in that relationship. My ex-wife, me, whoever else. Um, but it's how I choose to move forward from those mistakes and let God wash me of that and let my Lord and Savior carry me through that. I like to say a lot of times I let him drive and I just ride passenger. And if Jesus is driving... How can I go wrong? That's good, man. If I'm making decisions in my own head versus the old cliche, what would Jesus do? It's, uh, 
it makes a big difference. Yeah. And it at least gets me questioning myself and my motives. Or I have people in the AA program or people at church or good friends that I trust that I can go to and say, hey, you keeping me honest? I need to keep a bit kept honest in this. Yeah. Small group. I have a, a group of people in our family of churches. It's a it's a, a group that we've got some of the people from Epic and some people from the Tiger Church. Never remember the name of it, but Bedrock. Bedrock. We've got a group made of all three churches, members of the churches. So it's it's a great group that's kind of continued through the whole evolution of the church family. And that's those beautiful. guys those guys are real strong in my life too. You know, I need I need help with a gazebo at my house, putting up a gazebo. And I called a couple of friends from work. I called a couple other friends, and I called a couple of guys from my group. And you know, it's or if I'm struggling through something, like not to get too real, but you know, anything in my my personal life with mm-hmm. alcohol or with what a lot of men deal with porn or what a lot of men deal with with you know overeating or any kind of things. I can go to my group and say, look, I ate an entire cake last night. <laughs> or I wanted to I wanted to do something not good on the internet or I wanted to do this. There's people in my life I can go to and share that with. And they don't judge. They say, How can we help you through that? And it's been amazing to be part of a community that is supportive like that. Here mm-hmm. at AA and just my personal life with friends and even some of my coworkers that know my story. Yeah, man. Well, hey, thanks, Neil, for sharing so yeah. openly. Uh, no I know that there's a lot of people that are listening and watching that have some kind of tragedy that has happened in their life, maybe a long time ago, maybe something self-inflicted, maybe not. Um, but everybody struggles to yeah. recover from tragedy. And I think what's cool about your story is that we're seeing how God has helped you to recover from your story. and. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about the idea of restoration at Westside, mm-hmm. the idea that God's not just going to put it back. You know, you've, we've all lost something. Yeah. God's not just going to restore what we've lost. He's going to add something on top. Mm-hmm. It's going to be better than it was before. And I can kind of yeah. see that in your life, you know? Yeah, I, I never would have thought, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, the accident was 18 and a half years ago. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, before I met the girlfriend that died in the car accident, if you'd asked me where I'd be, I really wouldn't have had a good answer for you. Because I was kind of floating with some con- contract work. I was still drinking. I was still not really wanting to settle down or do be responsible. If you would have told me I was on my second marriage and have three daughters and a stepson and stepdaughter that I call my own and a great relationship with my wife and the, while not as big of a deal, still the, the possessions that I have versus what I came from in my car accident, which was living with my parents going to therapy three days a week or five days a week and recovering it it blown me away but mm-hmm. it it's i gotta give credit to god it's mm-hmm. i can't answer why i made it why i can still walk why i'm alive um only he can yeah i would say one thing watching mm-hmm. your story in your life is that you yes he's done the work mm-hmm. but the piece that you had a responsibility for was to allow his work in your life mm-hmm. to open the door for that. And I, we can see that very clearly. We're really appreciate proud that. of it. Yeah. yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It said, Paul, the apostle says, mm-hmm. um, uh, God is actually talking to Paul. He says, yeah. my grace is sufficient for you mm-hmm. because my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think that we see when somebody like you just has that acknowledgement moment to go, yes, I need help. Mm-hmm. And we all need help. But when we acknowledge it, then it's like God's strength rushes in. Yeah, so let God carry you. Absolutely. That'd, that'd be my advice. Let God carry you through your tough times. Mm. My dad likes to say, 
If you're dealing with something you can't deal with, crawl up in God's arms and let him hold you and let him let him just comfort you because he will. If you let him, you got to let him. You got to let go of it. Hmm. So, Thank you, Neil. Thank you, yeah. Pastor. Appreciate and it again. Thank you all for uh, watching and listening. This has been the Midweek Motivation episode of the Westside Podcast. Two favors. One, would you subscribe to this podcast and uh, maybe even review it? We'd love that. Secondly, pop into a Westside service some week. We uh, we do this every week on Sundays. We have church and uh, you're always invited. It's uh, something that we strive to do is always speak to relevant issues that help us in our daily lives. You can find out more at westsidecommunitychurch.com and we hope to see you soon.